This week on The Real Guy Podcast, we have the consecutive Canadian, the gear freak himself, doing his 18th trip to Cuba. Lost ugly sticks, people flipping out at the airport, counterfeit cigars, fishing eight miles offshore in a homemade Cuban skiff, and Ryan finally gets spooled all this week on The Real Guy Podcast. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. Welcome to The Real Guy Podcast. I have the consecutive Canadian on the show today. Ryan, thanks for being on The Real Guy Podcast again. Thanks for having me. It's always a, a riot. <laughs> you, what are you, uh, you know, Canada um, has the second most listeners. Really? I'm not surprised. Well, it better. It's like, you know, same language, same continent. Yeah. Like, would you feel bad? Would you feel bad if like Iraq or something had more than Canada? You know, I, I sport the piss out of my lunker dog gear all the time at the fishing shops, you know, the tackle shops and everything. I've got everybody at work tuning in from time to time. So I think that helps a little bit. Well, I think so, because on my analytics, it's United States number one, Canada, right underneath the United States, representing hard. A lot of real guys up here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, how many times have you been to Cuba so far? Because you just got back from Cuba, right? Yeah, you know, it's at the point where I'm almost losing count. This was my 18th trip to Cuba. Really? I know you went 18. a bunch of times. I didn't realize you went 18 times. 18 times. And uh, I think I've only really been fishing for maybe the past five or six trips. But um, yeah, I think, well, the first time I fished down in Cuba was in 2013 because my wife and I, we got married down there on the beach. It was fantastic. And I brought my combo with me and uh, I was getting mangroves like crazy right off the beach. And, um, then we did, we did a boat trip there. You can book through the hotel. We got a couple kudas and that was a lot of fun. And then that was, that was kind of right away, right around when I discovered, you know, the mullet run and the lunker dog stuff on YouTube. And so that right. was when everything kind of came together and I started going crazy. You started you know? putting, all, putting all the pieces together after that? Everything. Yeah. And, uh, slowly, but surely. I made the transition from uh, the swivel guy to a guy that can tie knots under conditions. <laughs> well, take me take me way back. You said eight, eighteen times. Yeah. What, what year? What year? What was the first year you went to Cuba? First year I went to Cuba was two thousand six. Um, and, and that was to get married. No, no, I, we got married in twenty thirteen, but in 06, like I was still with my wife back then. We've been together since two thousand one, and. So my parents had been to Cuba once and they loved it. And I thought, oh, wow, I've never, the most tropical place I'd ever been was Miami before. So um, my wife had kind of gotten together with her mom and they said, okay, like, let's go to Cuba. And my wife actually took me, she paid for me to go to Cuba because I was in school back then. And um, so we went down, it was fantastic. I loved it. I've always been a tropical kind of guy, right? The palm trees, the beach, everything. And when you're exposed to sub-zero temperatures for a substantial portion of the year, you really get an appreciation for nice weather. Really? Well, what about the opposite? What about if you live in Fort Lauderdale and then let's just say that like one of your best friends or your best people decide they're going to get married in an ice castle in Canada in the middle of February. You better like how's, get how's uh, a South Florida guy supposed to take that? <laughs> you you gotta go online and get yourself a Canada Goose jacket and some heavy duty mitts and you, you have to suit up. Like bring the Grundens if you have to. Just <laughs> I might need some coaching up on what to bring because that's exactly what happened to me. My wife's best friend and somebody that I've known since we were kids decided she was going to get married in an ice castle in, what is that, Quebec? Yeah, 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 that's where they have that. So I'm going to leave 
the tarpon. I'm going to leave in the middle of the season to go to an ice castle in Quebec, February 24th. I think you'll dig it. I think you you'll might- dig it. I, when you were young, you you were exposed to some pretty cold winters, right? Like as a kid before you moved to Florida? As a kid before I moved to Florida, I can't really remember the winters. I do remember oh. the first year that I moved to Florida, it snowed here. Oh, God. And I was like, oh, that's not, you know, it's not like way different than Massachusetts because, you know, it was cold and it snowed. And then we've been talking about that ever since because it never snowed again. But <laughs> but anyway, I've been That's... here ever since. And I did a couple of ski trips in my lifetime. Oh, nice. Other than that, I really haven't gotten cold since uh, playing football in college. That's so, not too bad. Yeah. So anyway, I, feel, I, I, I feel you going to Cuba 18 times. Yeah. And it, it's so cheap, you know, for, I think the cheapest I ever went, get a load of this. So this is a direct flight from Toronto into Cuba. It's about a three and a half hour flight. And the cheapest I've ever gone, seven nights, right? Seven nights, all inclusive. That includes your flight, your, your hotel on the beach, all your food, all your booze, taxes, all in. I think the cheapest I ever paid for a week was about 575 bucks per person for the week per person for the whole week. Now that was, that was exceptional, but usually I can get it for under a grand. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good because just flying to the Bahamas costs you a grand at this yeah. day and age. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I can't believe how expensive the Bahamas, the Bahamas has gotten, but the, the Bahamas is really for the rich people now. Mm-hmm. They kind of cut out all the regular millionaires. They're really going after the the big time crowd. You know what I mean? Yeah. And us Americans, they don't like, you know, we can't really go to Cuba. But I was thinking about taking the wife and the kid to uh, Belize. Oh, yeah. That'd be fantastic. Really good snorkeling there. I imagine the fishing would be good too, but I don't think if you're going nah, with the family, there'd be a whole lot of that. Well, I think but- I, I, I'm getting the girls into the fly fishing. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah. So I figure Bayliss may be the place to bring the girls where they might actually be able to catch a bonefish or a tarpon on a fly. I heard the fish are as dumb as they can get in Bayliss. I <laughs> I believe the, the the fish in Cuba, they're uh they'll hit just about anything too. <laughs> the IQ level of the fish in Cuba are tough. The, the fish in Cuba are still like eating lures from the sixties, right? Oh my God. They'll, they'll eat just about anything. The first time I fished down there on a boat back in 2013 from my wedding, the, well, cause you got to understand in Cuba, there's no Bass Pro Shops. There's no Walmart. There's no tackle shops, nothing. So all of the gear that the guides have down there is stuff that Canadians and Europeans have brought and given to them. So the guy that I fished with in 2013 he made a lot of his own lures. Some of them were made out of old bicycle t- tire tubes and all sorts of stuff, but they worked. And uh, it was pretty fantastic to see that that ingenuity there. The, um, you know, just making lures out of, out of junk. Right, doing whatever they got to do. Yeah, when a lot of guys, you know, don't don't even bat an eyelash at spending $50, $60 on a plug. Yeah, the Caribbean's a funny place like that. You gotta like make do with what you got, and then anything you get new is like crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what's the deal with with Cuba? They're like, they still got nothing new over there. Nothing. I I heard rumors that there was a tackle shop in Havana at some point, but Cuba's a big place, and I think from where I was staying, to drive to Havana is like maybe between six and eight hours. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's far. Um, so, you know, the guy that I, that I've been fishing with down there, um, like I always bring my own gear and I always hook him up with some plugs at the end of the trip. Uh, he really appreciates it. 
Um, but get a load of this. So I'm an extreme prepper when it comes to trips. Weeks ahead, like I sent pictures to Lamont of my garage. I had the folding table spread right out. I had all my saltwater stuff laid out on it. all my saltwater plugs. I had my cast net on there. Absolutely everything. Hooks, weights, leaders, anything I could possibly imagine needing. I had out there and I had ready. Right. And so I paid for two extra bags for this for this trip. One for me, one for my wife. But it was they were they're both my bags. One bag was full of reels and all the tackle, the cast net, everything. And then the other check piece of luggage that I paid extra for was my rods. One of those big, you know, the big Jeremy Wade style plastic fishing rod case. Yeah, the big that you tube. See him carrying around. Yeah, the big the big tube with the handles on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had, I brought down, I packed nine rods, so four ugly stick tigers. And then just kind of a range of smaller stuff and then like a like a big beach rod, you know, sharking from the beach type thing. Right. So I had I had everything covered. And because my it wasn't just my wife and I going down, it was my dad, my brother, my brother in law Perry and his wife, my wife's sister, Jackie, and their son Tyler. So it was gonna be my dad, it was gonna be all the guys we were gonna be fishing. So is that, on is the, that normal? Is that normal? Just the guys are fishing? Yeah, the, the, the girls, they stay back at the hotel. There's a there's a spa there. They get massages, you know, and, and the whole nine yards. They love it. So it's it's totally cool. Right and on. the boat that you see, the boat that we're fishing on down there, it's not it's not a luxurious boat by any means. Imagine like it's it's they're they're very old boats. They're very beat up, no electronics. It's the first few times I went down there. I said, "Hey, Steph, do you want to come on the on the boat with me?" Because it's like it's a long day. We you're on the water for about seven hours, and um, she's like, "Ah, mm, two guys on the boat and no bathroom, I'll pass." Right? So smart lady. You know, yeah the 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 girls never come on the boat. They they hang back, and it's cool. But so anyway, we get this pretty good group of guys there the, the five guys we're all fired up i've got all this gear for everybody to use all these rods for everybody to use and perry my brother-in-law even packed a few of his rods he grabbed a couple rods you know saltwater type rods to bring down right. so we get to the airport and we're checking our stuff but it's that that kiosk electronic check-in so you print your own stickers out and put them on your own thing and then feed them into the, you know, the luggage conveyor, and then they're gone, right? There's no person looking at them, nothing. And I, I said to everybody, I said, you watch. My rods, they're not going to make it down to Cuba. This was at 4 a.m. at the at <laughs> Pearson Airport in Toronto. I said that out loud. And everybody's like, no way, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Sure enough, we get down there. Well, we're on the plane, and they said, oh, yeah, uh, a bit of a delay. We're a little bit overweight. I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> Off with is, the rats. Uh, this is not good. So we arrive in Cuba. We get through security and everything. And I get through security. I'm like, oh, all our bags are right there, but I don't see the rods. They must be in the, the other part of the airport where the oversized stuff comes in. So I'm looking around, and they're, they're nowhere to be found. So sure enough, my rods didn't get on the plane. Perry's rods didn't get on the plane. And not only that, but seven other people's luggage didn't make it on the plane. And one of them was an elderly woman's walker, if you could believe that. I mean, my rod's not getting on the plane. That's bad enough. But this woman had no walker. So it was it was a nightmare. And I'm like, oh, shoot, the next flight. So we arrived on Sunday, and the next flight that was arriving on that airline wasn't coming until Wednesday. And you're like, flying oh, into okay. Havana? No, we fly directly into uh, Cayo Coco uh, Airport, the Jardin del Rey International Airport, which is you know, anywhere from 10 minutes to a half an hour from your hotel. Okay. So, Which is great. Direct flight there. I mean, you can't beat it. Right. So there we, there we are. No rods. I'm fired up because I'm like, damn, you know, they, I can rent rods from, 
from the guide from Dooney, but you know, at, at best he might have a few and they're usually pretty beat up, which is fine. But like, who knows what he has? Cause it had been two years since I'd been down there. And, um, so we're stressing my, my dad's stressing out. He's all fired up. And, uh, our blood was boiling a little bit because that was, that was a big part of the, the trip was to go down there and fish. You know, I booked that hotel because of its positioning on, on the Island. There's like a sweet point that comes out, you know, you could fish off the rocks there. There's some rocks there. And then there's, there's the beach, nice little bay. And I thought, okay, this would be a great place to catch bait. You know, you could do all kinds of stuff from here, but what's that? What's we the name of this? What's the name of this resort? It's called Ibero star selection Playa Pilar. Ooh, beautiful, title. beautiful place. Yeah. It's fairly new too. Like a lot of those Cuban resorts, they're old. Like, I've stayed in some that were built. I think the oldest one I stayed in was built in the eighties. And you, you can see the really old hotels too. Some of them have that like kind of austere Soviet architecture because I think that place, like the first place I ever stayed at, which was, which is a cheapy, I think that was built originally for like Soviet soldiers just to kind of hang out at. Yeah, that's my understanding anyway. I mean, who knows? But this place that we're at, fresh, new, you know, five years old, absolutely spectacular. But we get there, and not only, like, to add insult to injury, <laughs> our room wasn't even ready yet. You know, so we, we, we got up at, I think we left the house at 2.30 to get to the airport. So we've been up since 2.30 in the morning. We're finally at the hotel at about 2 o'clock after all the delays and this and that. And then our rooms aren't ready. So tensions were running high. <laughs> I was trying to stay calm because I'm worried about my rods. We've got nowhere to put our stuff. And my dad's all fired up about the rods. So I thought, okay, a lot of the times at these hotels, they always have like free catamarans and stuff like that, right? The guys at the beach hut down there, they'll take you out on the catamaran for an hour or whatever. But if you pay them, they, they usually have a couple of combos there, a couple of beat up old combos. And if you give them a few bucks, they'll take you out for a few hours fishing. So I thought, okay, we're here. We got no gear, but let's look into this catamaran thing. So I ran over there, saw the guy and he said, yeah, we can take you out right now if you want. So I go get my dad. All of a sudden, bang, our moods <laughs> complete, did a complete 180. And we went out for about two and a half hours because I still had my reels. I still had all my plugs and everything and cast net and all that stuff. So we went out and um, I got a, a decent jack and he got a Cuda. And that was a nice little start to the vacation. And you, you, these combos that, that, that the Cuban guys had, man, they were, they were old school. They were old, old made in the USA Penn senators that hadn't even been spun in two years. We were the first people to use these combos since, you know, since COVID. Wow. And then, um, you know, the, the, the rods are just like MacGyvered back together. There's homemade guides made out of whatever kind of stiff wire they had kind of threaded on there. And then like, it must've been hot glue or something, but they, they worked and they did the job and, uh, we got a couple fish on the first day. So that was pretty good. That, uh, that was a so nice managed, little start to the trip. You managed through the first day sporting some jacks and getting a decent cuda. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Lots of people <laughs> and lots of places uh, that's been like, you know, the icebreaker. Yeah. And cudas and jacks for Canadians are, that's a big deal for us. We don't really have anything that fights anything close to a jack up here. And I know... You know, they're the Jackson Cudas are bycatch down in, in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, wherever, but they're for me, they're still a blast. I've caught more Cudas than I can count. And That's only for the fish snobs down here, though. You know, there's a bunch of fish snobs down here. Carl and I fell victim to it the other night. I was out there fishing with Carl Ball, and <clears throat> it's raining like a son of a bitch. We're up in the river here in Fort Lauderdale, kind of just staying away from everybody. And there's these huge schools of jacks just absolutely going nuts. And mm -hmm. both of us kind of uh, pulled our baits away to 
fish for tarpon and snook and stay away from the jacks. At the end of the night, we had tarpon and we had snooks, but we didn't have any jacks. So we totally blew it. We could have had the slam, but being fish snobs, we screwed ourselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So the old fish snob thing is way overrated. Mm-hmm. Now, Even, let me ask you, let me ask yeah. you a question, oh. though. Now, the airport, I know you're saying they, they lost your tackle and your rods and stuff. But the rods, I mean, that's like a big item and stuff. And when you were checking the rods in, were there people in line eyeballing you? like wishing that they were bringing their rods, but didn't. You know what? I think they, there was actually people flipping out at the airport, <laughs> you know, like it, it was like, uh, I'm trying to deal with these rods because I had to go to the desk because um, there was an issue with the, with the, the, the printer and printing out the stickers. And I'm there trying to talk to this woman at the, at the counter to try and get this, the stickers to put on the, on the rods. And then <laughs> 40 feet away from me, there's this woman flipping out and, you know, security's called in and I'm like, oh God, what a way, what a way to start the morning. But <laughs> what do you mean she was flipping out? <laughs> oh dude, she was flipping out. I think, I don't know if it was a mask thing or what the deal was. I don't know what led up to it, but she was losing her mind on, I think they confiscated her boarding pass or something. And she's flipping out. She's like, I effing paid for that. You're a bunch of effing communists. You're a bunch of fascists. And I, it was clearly some sort of, you know, mental health issue, I think, was going on. And uh, is, it mental, <laughs> is that a mental health issue? Or is it just like you put through so much scrutiny and bullshit at the airport that it just kind of makes people flip out? Because it seems to be like normal now that people are flipping out at the airports. It's like yeah. in the news, the news, they want to show the people flipping out at the airport. And then they want to show like the puppy video from Instagram. Yeah. But between the two of them, like not a night goes by where you don't see it. And there's so many of them now. It's like, they're not even entertaining anymore. They're just part of it. It's just, it's just all part of the noise that, that internet noise. <laughs> well, I don't know when I travel, right. And I got the, the rods. I like. I kind of want them to hurry up and check them in. Yep. Because either somebody's going to start a conversation with me and start telling me about the walleyes and stuff that they catch. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I try to yeah. avoid that. But then there's a whole bunch of guys that are like, "Damn, homeboy's got his rods." I didn't even bring. I didn't even think about bringing my rods. And you can see the processing going on in people's minds while we're checking the luggage in. I just want to know if you noticed any of that well on a previous trip i was coming back from a little catamaran deal and um there was a guy i was just carrying my combo just leaving the beach and a canadian says hey man where'd you rent that rod from i said hey i i brought it you know it's mine and he's like oh can i borrow it and i'm like hell no <laughs> i don't even know you <laughs> right that's like getting in your space a little bit yeah, man, that's a combo. That's like saying, hey, I don't know you, but can I borrow your car and go run some errands? Like, not a chance, bud. I'd, I'd let him borrow the rental car that I had in Cuba, but I damn sure wouldn't let him hold my ugly sticks. <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> not a chance. So I was, I was, you know, I'll be, for the first couple days, like, it, I was pretty shook up about these, these rods, even though we had that good little day catching the jacks and catching the kudas and everything. But. I was a little bit, it, it took me a couple days to, to really wind down and finally be able to relax. Usually I was so stressed out about this trip because it was the first trip, you know, post, you know, since, since COVID started and right. I was like, you know, I, right before COVID hit, I was supposed to, my dad and I were supposed to come down and we were going to fish with you, the horse cranker and Norm. And then it was like the weekend that was supposed to happen. That's when everything shut down. So I'm like, what's going to go wrong with this trip? Because I'm always a so you were a catastrophizer. You were, on pins, you were on pins and needles because you were paranoid from the previous COVID problems we had. Totally paranoid, and usually I'm all pumped up for like six weeks, a solid six weeks before the trip. But I couldn't even get pumped up ahead of time because I was just like, if I get fired up, I'm gonna get disappointed, and I don't want to get disappointed. <laughs> so I was, I was very tightly wound 
Right. A couple days in, though, you know, you, you get into the rum, you're on the beautiful beach. You know, how could you not relax? But there was a bit of a bit of a cigar shortage down there, if you believe it. Cigars Goodness. and even yeah, cigarettes. Cigar shortage in Cuba? Dude, you could not even get cigarettes at the hotel. Now, I, I know smoking is bad and everything, but when I'm on vacation, I'm like a chimney the whole time. Like... I'm lighting cigarettes off of cigarettes, chasing it with a cigar. Like, I don't smoke like a fiend when I'm at home. But <laughs> when I'm on vacation, I'm relaxed. And it's it's great. You're, cigarettes are like a buck a pack down there. And cigars are crazy cheap by my standards. Right. You know, something down there. Like, you can get a, a box of say like Vegas Robanas, which I really, really like. They're one of my favorites. And up here, it's like you're looking at about 1200 bucks for a legit box from right. the cigar shop. Down there, it's like under 200 US for the genuine article. I'm not, you know, I don't mess around. I don't, every guy down there, all the bartenders, they all have a brother that works at the factory and steals the cigars. And I bought my fair share of fakes. In the past, but you you live, you learn. And um, so I only buy from La Casa del Habano down there because it's it's a nice chain of regulated shops. You can check the pricing online. You can check the codes on the boxes online. Everything is totally legit. And I've never had a problem. See, I didn't know there was a cigar counterfeit problem in Cuba. I know here in Miami, we have a counterfeit cigar industry. And a lot of them, they claim to be Cuban cigars that are pretty good cigars. I don't know where the hell they're from, but we know that they're counterfeit. But I had no clue that in Cuba, they had counterfeit cigars. Oh, yeah. it's They're everywhere. And that's, a, that's one of the nice things about traveling to Cuba is that for tourists anyway, it's, it's a very, very safe place for Canadian tourists to travel. And that's the worst scam you're going to encounter. Is somebody selling you fake cigars, which aren't half bad, <laughs> which are fine. They're not even yeah, sure. They're not Cohibas. God only knows what they are, but there's all the fakes I've had down there have been fine. It's not like they've been banana leaves or whatever. They're just <laughs> they're they're just whatever, and you smoke them and you enjoy them. Right. So, did your rods ever get there? So. I ended up having to rent rods from my guide. So get a load of this. My rods did show up in Cuba. I got them 20 minutes before I got on the bus to go back to the airport to fly home. <laughs> my ugly stick tigers, my, my carnage twos, all that stuff, everything. I, but at that point, there were so many emails back and forth with my travel agent, with the airline. I was just happy to have them back because those ugly stick tigers, I don't know how hard it is to get them in the U S right now. I know you just got some fresh ones, but up here we still can't get them. Whether well, I, I go got, to like, yeah, I only got one out of two. They ordered, I ordered an ugly stick light and mm -hmm. then I ordered or tiger light. And then I ordered the tiger, um, medium heavy. I couldn't get the medium heavy. I only got the light. So oh, I don't damn. know when I'm going to be able to get one, but right now out of totally out of luck. And now, yeah, that, that was what I was worried about. I'm like, I've got some of the, the tigers that are a few years old that still have the Fuji real seats and the Fuji guides. And, and I was like, damn, I can't buy those anymore. And even if I buy, you know, the, the fresh ones, I don't even know when I'm going to be able to get them. So that was, I was thinking, Oh geez, it's going to cost a lot of money to re to replace these, to get something comparable but i got them they were back in my hands and no word of a lie jeff i hugged <laughs> the rod case it's a little emotional <laughs> for you to be away from your was, for that long yeah it's it was tough especially being in such right, a magical land of fishing right but it all worked out in the end so the the guide that you went with this is the guide you've been using for how many years now uh, I think I've been fishing with him. I think the first time I fished with him was 2014. All right. So he's you got a guy, good rhythm with this guy? Oh, he's great. He's he's totally 
he's a maniac. And I say that in the most positive way. Um, he's a guy that I found out through basically YouTube, but it was, it wasn't even him publishing his own videos. It was guys from England posting videos. I'm like, Oh my God, look at, look at what these guys are catching. And then I commented to, I don't even remember the names of the guys that posted the videos. I'm like, Hey, who is this guy? And how do I get a hold of him? And then they gave me his name, but that was all they gave me. And then I started scouring forums, uh, like Cuba travel forums. And sure enough, I found, I got a hold of his email address through another guy that was on there that was going the same week as me and was fishing with him. So he, he split the boat with me, which was a real guy thing to do. But it is a real guy thing to do. Yeah, totally. And so that's where that all started. And that's all that also has to do with why I over prepare the way I do for these Cuban fishing trips, because I brought down like one big combo with me, you know, the ugly stick, the big pen reel. Um, and then the other guy had a couple like real old beat up combos that he said he bought at a swap meet and his spinner blew up on a mahi, a really nice mahi. And then, Dooney actually handlined it into the boat, which is pretty cool. And then his, he had a conventional reel and that thing we were jigging and a big fish, um, you know, something, the, the drag just locked up, fish broke off and that was the end of that reel. So I saw that. I'm like, okay, I have to make sure I have backups for the backups when I come down here. Hmm. Well, it's nice to have a go-to guide. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Where, you know, you kind of know that he's in tune and is going to do what he's got to do in order to make sure that you get on some fish. Now, what was the, what was the, what was the plan? The plan was, so when, cause I always let him know in advance that I'm coming, right? Say, Hey, like keep a couple spots open for me. I was, I was booking for two days this time. And, but you know, because you know the weather can change, you know, at the drop of a hat, uh, we never actually pick the days until we're down there and he can have a look at the forecast. So oh, nice. it turned out we, we arrived on Sunday and the first day where the weather was going to be good, that he wasn't booked was Friday and then Saturday. So we picked those dates. The first day it was, uh, my dad and I, and then the, because the other guys excuse me, they, they only wanted to do one day of fishing. So the plan was, yeah, dad and I on Friday and then dad, my brother and I on one boat on Saturday. And then my brother-in-law Perry and his son Tyler on the other boat. And so, because there's, there's Dunieski and then there's Alex and they're a team. They work together. You know, they take all the clients out and, um, I think Perry was going to go with Alex because we fished with him last time when we got all, when we got those three Wahoo and then he really, really likes Alex. And then, you know, we were, we were going with Dooney. And so the first day, the Saturday or sorry, the Friday, um, like in, we were kind of thinking about, because he, he's actually, his main thing is, is fly fishing, like bonefish permit tarpon, it's oh, really? totally nuts down there. Yeah, that's that's his main thing is 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 bonefish and uh, and tarpon. And I was like, oh, maybe I should do an inshore day with him, and then an offshore day. But it ended up working out because we were going to try and go for tarpon on I think Wednesday or Thursday evening, but it wasn't the weather wasn't quite there, and. So we ended up doing doing the offshore thing both days. Now, we ended up splitting the boat. Normally I normally I fish by myself when I'm down there, right? Cuz it's it's dirt cheap. He charges 280 US for the for the trip. You're on the water for like 7 hours. He picks you up at your hotel, takes you to his marina, which is about a 40-minute drive away. And then he drops you back off at the end of the night and then he has to drive an hour and a half to his house again. So that's totally, totally amazing. So I always give him a really good tip and, you know, lots of, lots of gear to, you know, for him to use until next time. So 
But uh, yeah, so the first day we ended up splitting the boat with an English guy. And these, these are not big boats. I think they're like, they're smaller. They're smaller than your boat. I think they're maybe 17 footers. His boats that he takes offshore there. They're like center console skiffs, no electronics on them, nowhere to sit. They're very, they're Spartan. And so I'm, I'm not tall, but I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm a bigger guy. <laughs> and then the English guy that was with us was a, was a tall, bigger guy. And then there's my dad, who's, you know, like a, like a toothpick. But so the three of us and the guide on that boat, that's, that's a tight, tight fit, but we, we managed to make it work. And it was, it was just madness from the very beginning. So his, do, his do, Marina. Do you feel safe? Or do you feel like well, you're really stretching it when you go out on that little skiff? I, honestly, I'm, I, he's confident and they always go out in pairs. So there's always Dunieski that's out there and there's always, there's always Alex. And oddly enough, their cell phones work perfectly out there. They're calling each other back and forth. Like there's not even, there's not even a radio on these boats. And so you feel, they, but you're feeling pretty comfortable. You're not, you're not nervous or nothing. No, no, no. I, even the first time, I don't think I was terribly nervous because we always go when the weather's okay. You could, the further, and we don't have to go out that far. I think maybe he, he never goes out any further than like seven, eight miles. So it's, it's not bad. And the boat, like it's seaworthy. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. I was on a boat down there another time. It was the center console boat. I think it was like a 16 footer. And like the center console was held in place just by like cocking. That was the only thing holding the center console in place. Like it was completely 360 degrees held in place by cocking. So you'd like hit waves and it would jiggle. And that boat I was nervous on. But Dooney's boats are, they're, they're fine. They're absolutely so fine. So between between Dooney and the old boats and the partner that he's got, you guys are feeling pretty confident and you don't really care. You go right out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was on the first day, it was absolute madness from the start because he's got his little marina there and it's all his boats. I think he's got about six boats there. A few boats for, you know, doing his fly trips, you know, on the flats. And then he's got a couple boats that that they take offshore. and. We weren't even all the way out, and there were there were frigate birds, you know, diving fairly close to shore, like immediately. They were going nuts. So the so, fish found you immediately. Immediately, and Im- immediately he's he's like, "Holy shit, man!" And he's he's just firing lures onto the rods. So I've got my reels on there on his rods, and. So he's he's tying stuff on real quick and getting it right out there. And immediately we hit a couple of kingfish. And then the birds kept going crazy. And then he saw some mahi. And he started changing up the lures. Like he put he put on, I didn't know that guys did this, but he actually put on. Because he, he had a good look through my plethora of tackle. And he took these big bucktails, these big bucktail jigs, and tied them on. And we started trolling. We He turned the boat around, started heading back towards where he saw the mahi. And uh, sure enough, we, we got into some mahis, like, immediately. And nice ones, too. Not not little wienery ones, but but decent ones. And it was it was total madness right off the hop. Nice. And then he was giving me the gears because so my dad got the first two kingfish and then the English guy, his name's Andy. He got a mahi and then they gave me the next rod that went off and you know, the, the, the fish got off, you know, and dude, he's like super, super intense. He's all fired up. He's screaming at me. You spent too much time fishing in the lakes. And I'm like, dude, man, I, <laughs> there was, he's like, 
there better be tension on that line the whole time. And I'm like, dude, there was tension the whole time, man. It just shit happens. And uh, so then another one hit, and sure enough, it it got off too. And I'm like, oh my god, this is this is getting off to a bad start for me. I'm a little bit out of practice because I hadn't fished since September because the weather turned so fast here. So I'm a little bit rusty. And uh, but you know the the action was nonstop all day. We went out because that's this is the time of year when when the wahoo were there and it's it's a really good time to fish out of there for wahoo and that was sort of our main focus but we didn't get wahoo but we got into i think that day i think we we got about 17 fish into the boat um mostly trolling and then we probably spent about half hour 45 minutes speed jigging really which speed is yeah. So now, is that normal for this guy or is he doing that because you brought those speed jigs? Oh, um, it's, it's normal for him because, because they, their gas is rationed. So he will, he knows this water so well. Like, you know, like I said, he's got no electronics. There's no sonar. There's no fish finder. There's, there's nothing. He has nothing on that boat except for a handheld GPS unit. This old Garmin thing that looks like it's from, 2005 2006 like it's really really old technology runs on a couple double a's buttons are falling off but he he knows he knows that area so well because it's just him and alex they're the only guides that fish that area and there's no commercial fishing there these these places that we're at they're called keokoko and keo guillermo they're islands that are separated from the mainland by a causeway that I think is in the neighborhood of 20 kilometers. So nobody lives on the island. The only people on the island are hotel workers, you know, or people who work in the tourism industry and, and then the tourists. So there's almost no pressure there whatsoever. Just what Dooney and Alex are doing. And then there's other parts of the island because it's a fair sized uh, island. Uh, you know, where there's a few other guides and stuff, but for the most part, it's, it's fairly untouched. That's awesome, dude. It's, it's so hard to find any place that's fairly untouched anymore. A lot of the resorts, you know, in, uh, Central America and over in, uh, Costa Rica and stuff. Yeah. You're out of the way and there's a ton of fish, but you can definitely, you know, you know, they're fished and you see the other people all around you and that kind of stuff getting away in those Cuban waters. I got to do it one time. You know, and I have flown down there with Americans, guys who use their um, U.S. passports. Um, I think there's no issue, to my understanding, I mean, I could be wrong, things may have changed, but my understanding is that as long as you depart from Toronto, you're not you're not going to have any problems. So you'd have to fly, you'd have to backtrack a little bit, you'd have to fly up here. Well, I know I think, I, you, you can do flights out of Miami. Guys, I think you? what they do here is I think they fly into the Bahamas and then from the Bahamas, they fly there. That would make I, more sense. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what guys do in order for that them would, to you know, get a fishing trip in Cuba. Now, online, I saw one day you went live or was that a video, but you were getting spooled, dude. Oh, you were, that, was, you were, that was. You were totally getting spooled. <laughs> and you were watching yourself get spooled, and then you were telling whoever was watching that you were getting spooled, which you didn't have to yeah. explain to anybody because we could see that you were getting spooled. I had, you know what? That's the first time I was ever spooled in my entire life. I've never <laughs> congratulations <been> ever. <laughs> and I was so excited about it because so day two was or day day one was a crazy day. Day two was equally crazy. Day two was just my brother and I, and so. We were, when I got spooled there, we were speed jigging again, which, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy on your body. And my, my brother was taking a break. So Dooney had the one rod and he had my big, I've got one of the big Fenor offshores, like what you have. Right. And, uh, but I have the bigger one, the 9,500. And I bought that because both of the, the Fenor reels that I have, I bought because of your videos. But, uh, and they're, and they're, they're badass. So, so I've got, I've got the big Finor set up. I'm jigging away. And then Dooney has my little 6,000 pen clash reel on 
the rod that he had and the rods that I rented from him, there was like an ugly stick jigging rod. There was this weird Chinese rod that he had. And then he had like, like a, some kind of Daiwa beef stick or whatever. So, but the rod that he was jigging with was the, was the Chinese one. And I'd never seen that brand before, but the thing held up, it was fine. But where we were jigging, I think, because he's got the same, he goes to the same spot every single time. He's got it on his little GPS. So we troll for a while and then we get out there and then, you know, he takes a leak. We have a sandwich, we jig, right? That's kind of our little break from trolling. and. and oh, write that down. Leak, sandwich, jig. Got it. In that order. Okay. <laughs> and so we're jigging away and like we were doing great. I got, I got this big, he called it a GT. But we all know how you feel about GTs. They're all, it's, it's all jacks. They're all jacks, right? dude. And this, I think it, it was like, a, it was like a big black jack. And I think it's like a horse eye jack, but I'm not a jack expert, but I'm, I'm going to go with horse eye. We'll, uh, so you're thinking we'll, you get spooled by a horse eye? No, 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 no. So I caught that one and then I got, uh, this really nice dog tooth snapper and, um, so we're jigging and then we drift and then he'd kind of go back to the spot. And then, so we're both jigging away. I've got the big setup. He's got the tiniest setup on the boat. And what does the fish hit on is the tiny setup. Of course. So he hooks it. And so what happened was, I think it was about, it was at least 200 meters deep where we were at that time. And he figured it was about when it was about 40 meters down, that's when it hit and then it hit, but he didn't hook up with it. And then he jigged the lure a little bit more and then let it sit for a second. And then he got another hit. So, and then he's like, Ryan, get over here, get over here. So he passes me the rod. It felt like I had control of the fish for about a minute. I was doing good. I was recovering some line. Everything seemed okay, but it felt like a big, crazy, heavy, strong fish. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of said no. And then the better part of 300 yards of braid, gone <laughs> in no time at all. So, and, you know, guys are saying, oh, like, why didn't, why didn't he, he chase it? But that fish was kind of swimming back down. And it just, it all happened so fast that so- I wouldn't have landed that fish on that, on that tiny little setup anyway. So it was a hunch. What did you think it was? He told me, I mean, he thinks it was a big, big tuna. He was saying bluefin tuna. Um, but I didn't even realize that they they came down that far. I thought they were kind of more of a cold water fish. I don't really know a whole lot about tuna. Well, you never but, know when you're going to get a tuna. Friggin' my buddy Mike got one the other day. Friggin' 1,800 foot on the bottom right out here in front of Fort Lauderdale. Damn. Right. Wow. And fuckers swim, swim wherever they want. So I'd, I'd, I'd have to friggin' go along with, okay, bluefin or big yellowfin. Yeah, because, I mean, he he felt the hits and he knew what was going on. And he said, based on everything he's seen, that's what he thinks it was. He said, if it, if it would have hit the setup I was using, I might have had a shot. Because I had a lot more line, a lot more. Because that, dude, that drag on that reel was, was maxed out. Like I could not pull it with my hand and that reel was hot. The spool was too hot to touch and like no exaggeration either. It was crazy, crazy hot. So that fish was, it totally had me outgunned in every way possible. But how cool was that to experience that, you know, to finally get spooled. Yeah. We're all proud of you, Ryan. It, uh, it, it made the day. There's a time. Actually, no. There's a time in life where an angler gets spooled, and you know, it's just good that you made it there with all those yep. muskies and carp and stuff that you've been catching. You know, <laughs> it was only fitting that you finally got spooled. Absolutely. <laughs> so, what what do you guys do with all that fish? You, you take oh my a little God. bit back for the restaurant, or you give it all to the guide. How does that work? Absolutely. So, what happens is, so like the second day there. Like, not only did I get spooled, but I caught that great big uh, black grouper. For me, it was great big. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't have a scale. I didn't have a scale. But 
I'm sure you saw the pics. That was a that was a pretty good fish. And so we had that day we had like the dog tooth snapper, we had that big jack, whatever the hell it was. We had the grouper, we had barracudas out the yin yang. We had a mutton snapper, we had more in jacks. Cu- in the Cuban zoo eating the barracudas, right? Oh, they everything. Absolutely right. everything. And I've eaten barracuda down there. I've eaten it. Um, I, eat, I, mean, I eat it even here. People think I'm nuts. I think it's fantastic. I thought it was great. Uh, I had it at uh, a Cuban friend's house in Cuba, and he just fried it up and just a pile of charcoal. And he had this piece of sheet metal that he used as a as a pan. He filled it up with oil and he fried it. And it was fantastic. Right. Right. So we get back. Yeah. So we had so many species that day both days but you get back to the to the marina and there's probably about four or five real old guys working there you know they're old dudes like they're they they've seen some sun you know they're 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 old guys and immediately you know the fish come out he's got a piece of sheet metal that he puts on the dock to to keep the slime off and you know you take a few pictures with the fish and immediately those guys are in there like machines just cutting these fish up and they take a lot of them home. You know, they'll, they'll feed themselves. I I'm sure, I don't know if they sell them or trade them or whatever. Dooney takes some, the guys at the Marina take some and whatever you want, you can take too. And the, the chefs at the resorts are always ecstatic to cook the fish up for you because you give them a nice tip and they're always excited to see the fish because they, they love it down there. I mean, I'm in here in Miami, right? So we got a lot of the Cuban flair down here and a lot of the customs and the food and everything. But yeah. um, I'm sure it's different in Cuba than it is in Miami. Like Italian food here in, in America is totally different than the Italian food you get in Italy. Is that the same? I mean, what, what, what goes on with the food and the cooking and all that? Well, not once have I seen a Cuban sandwich in Cuba. Okay, that's a good answer. It kind of yeah, gives you the gist of everything. But I like the Cuban food down there. I, I have Cuban friends in, in different parts of Cuba because I've been all over, right? And, you know, whether I'm at the resorts or whether I'm at their homes or in restaurants outside, there's there's always lots of fish. There's lots of, you know, you can get the lobsters, the Cuban lobsters down there. There's... The, the rice, that arroz congri, I'm sorry if I butchered this pronunciation. That's always money. They're cooking yuca, um, everything, pork. It's, I love the food down there. It's, I've been to Mexican um, all-inclusives, you know, like in uh, Riviera Maya. And a lot of the food down there, because Canadians are like, oh, the food in Cuba sucks and the food in Mexico is great. But I find that, I mean, the, the food in Mexico is great. But... Especially if you get like, if you go to the Mexican part where they have the authentic Mexican food, but then they have food for, for the honkies. And it's like a lot of like food service type stuff. Like, you know, the frozen garlic bread at Walmart, you know, those big slices. Yeah. You know? It says for honkies only. Yes. Yeah. They, they've got that kind of stuff. They've got, you know, your Jimmy Dean sausages or whatever. Right. So that's not what I'm into. I like. The, the Cuban food down in Cuba, you got the rice dishes, you got, they, they've got grills everywhere. You can get fish, pork, chicken, whatever you want. And it's fine. It's seasoned nicely. They've got garlic. It's, it's different. And I'm cool with that. It's all part of the experience. Right. But my, yeah. my traveling food, like I was in, I backpacked through the jungle a couple times in Peru, like in 04 and 06. And our meals, we were scraping. We were like eating canned Vienna sausages, and yeah, you, you were know, scraping. it was. We were scraping. It was pretty bad. So the the Cuban food for me is absolutely fine. I like it. It's and as long as you're willing to accept that you're not going to get a Big Mac down there, you're not going to get, you know, your right. Tim Hortons. Um, you won't be disappointed. Right. Now, yeah, I, I, I enjoy all the Cuban culture that we experience here in Miami and the food. I mean, I like it. I mean, I really like it. I mean, the fam and everything. we got our favorite little Cuban restaurant we go to pretty much all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I sure would like to get a 
little taste of the real McCoy down there. You know what I mean? Yeah, you you can't beat it. You can't beat it. And you know, fresh fresh seafood. They, the shrimp, the best shrimp I've ever had has been been in Cuba every single time. So preparing mentally for your trip next year to Cuba. What changes are you going to make? How are you going to make this experience a little bit better for you? Like maybe you go with the two piece ugly sticks and carry them with you the whole time. Well, that's, I don't know. You know, here's, here's what is so frustrating about this whole thing is that I have these collapsible, like four piece rods that fit nicely in my bags. And they're, they're, they're absolutely fine rods, but I thought I'm bringing nine rods down there in my tube. I'm not going to need these these collapsible travel rods. I'm not, I'm not going to bring them. I'm already bringing too much. And that was the one time I didn't bring them is when it bit me right in the ass. Bit you right in the ass. Right in the ass. And <laughs> the, that, the, the one time, it's like the one time in my life where I was in a car without a seatbelt, I got, I got lit up about a quarter mile from my house. And I just jumped in the car, forgot to put it on. The only time in my life. So, you know, always be prepared. Well, always dude, be prepared. Sounds like you had a great time. I was watching online. Um, I kept thinking, man, I want to, I want to go to Cuba. So I think I'm going to make that happen. Um, I'm going to get the Bailey's trip out of the way. But I love hearing the story of the consecutive Canadian leaving Canada with his stuff, going to see his dog in some weird place out in the middle of. Nowhere. <laughs> yeah. It's just a great story. And um, it's an experience. And there's nothing, there's nowhere else in the world that I can think of that is like as accessible for Canadians anyway, as accessible and as untouched as there. Right. It's, right. it's, at, like, there's nowhere in the world for that, for that kind of money. Cause, you know, I've, I've spent, you know, a thousand bucks in Mexico on a four hour trip where we caught nothing. Or you can get the boat in Cuba, 280 bucks for seven hours. And it's just fish, 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 fish. Like even on the second day too, like he stopped fairly not far from shore and he saw a school of jacks and he's like, oh, let's cast to these jacks. And sure enough, my first cast, like not even two seconds after it hit the water, I had a jack on. And then all the whole school of jacks came right up to the boat. I was like, how crazy is this? And it was just madness the whole day. And then the jacks, kudas, uh, you know, the all the snappers, the the that that big grouper, which we caught trolling. Uh, he's got spots, man. Like he's like, Oh, see all these rocks down here, see all these rocks. This is this is my grouper zone. This is where we go to catch groupers. And both days we got groupers in that general area. And and decent ones too. Yeah, well, your dog down there sounds like he's really dialed in, and he actually cares, and he's a real guy in the whole nine yards. I think a lot of times in places like Mexico, or whatever, you know, you get the dude that cleaning up out back, and then he goes out there and gets the boat ready for you, throws a few things together, and if you catch something great, sounds to me like your Cuban guide there, along with his partner, you know, really real guys. Sort of seems They're like so to me. They're so on the ball. They know their water. They're just, they're, they're masters of, of their universe where they fish. It's, they're so knowledgeable. They're, they're on the water constantly. They're like you, you know, you're so in tune with your fishing spots and you're, you you've been doing it so long. They've been doing it so long. And, um, you know, you, you and Dooney are the two best guys I've ever fished with in my whole life. Um, Me and the Cuban you know, guy. Yep. They're fantastic people down there. And I've, other than losing, you know, the airline losing my rods, I've never had a bad experience down there. It's always been fantastic. Great, great fishing, great atmosphere, great weather, great music. It's, it's always fantastic. And that's why I've been there 18 times. And I might go back in March or April. Or we might come down to Florida. We got to see how things are going. Well, uh, you I think know, with, you ought to, I think you ought to do both, and then let me figure out a way I can go to Cuba after the Florida part. Dude, that would dude, be crazy, dude. Well, that's <laughs> Ryan. 
the consecutive Canadian, one of the few real guys that's constantly putting lunkers in people's faces. It's his annual Cuba trip. I'm really glad that you made the makeup from last year having to skip from COVID. And thanks for sharing it with the uh, Real Guy Network. If you guys have any questions about going to Cuba or you think Ryan can help you in any way, you can just email me, jeff at lunkerdog.com. I'll forward it over to Ryan for you. Or you can make an email Ryan at dartfarger at hotmail.com. Fantastic. Either way, way, if you want to get the real perspective from the consecutive Canadian on a Cuba trip, I think there's no one better. Ryan, thanks for telling the Cuban story. Yeah, I appreciate you being on the podcast this week. I, I, it's always a blast when you have me on, and it's always, it's always great. And I'm just so happy. I just got to give a shout out before we go to my dad for fishing like a champion down there. I don't know if you, if you guys saw the video of him catching. It's been a good year for Roly. He got his big pike, you know, back in uh, in the spring, and it's just been a banner year for him. Well, it's always awesome. It's always awesome to watch your best fishing partner be successful, and um, good for Rolly. And for so many guys, it's my dad's first trip time fishing in Cuba, and he's still fired up about it. My brother's second time fishing in Cuba, and then my brother-in-law Perry, he got to go with his son. So it's just an unbelievable experience, and to see the smiles on everybody's faces talking about fights with the fish and how much fun they had. Like that's what it's all about. It really is. It really is. Sound like a great trip, Brian. And, uh, we appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks for telling the story. Thanks. Run that dog. Run that dog. (laughs) 